This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly slice of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, your podcast host, and this is episode 216. This week I'm talking to best-selling author and Olive fave, Sabrina Gayor. Her new book Simply is out this month, and we have an in-depth chat about the inspiration behind some of the recipes, from traditional Persian classics like kebab kubideh to melting pot mashups like her Silk Road lamb pasta. We also discover why sour flavours are so important in Persian cooking and why Sabrina always has to have a kitchen on hand, even on holiday. Sabrina, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much. I was going to say, we made it it through lockdown, didn't we? We did. Still standing. Yeah. I feel like singing that song. (laughs) Well, Elton John. Because last time we spoke, I think it was it was mid lockdown. It was a really strange time, and I think we were both kind of at the end of our tethers, basically. And um, and now we're through it. And you've got a book out, simply Sabrina, which is incredible. So congratulations! Thank you very much. And yes, I'm so glad we're over it. Let's just hope it stays this way. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, should we have a little recap for people who don't know your background and think that you just came fully formed as this best-selling author of five books? Oh, did um, I not? Oh, jeez. Okay. All right. Sorry. Might need an ego check there. <laughs> but um, just for people who don't know, because it is a really interesting story, isn't it? Um, it's certainly different to yep. uh, a lot of other people in that... Um, you know, I'm not a, a journalist, I'm not a trained chef, any of those things that usually end up making a cookbook writer. Um, but I 
started cooking from a very early age, from about the age of five, and I took over the house cooking exclusively by the time I was 11. And career-wise, I ended up working in hospitality, so hotels and restaurants. So it's, mm. you know, that I was always around food, but probably just never brave enough to end up in the kitchen and um, never did end up in a kitchen, actually, um, until I lost my job age 35, um, made redundant, and um, very accidentally became a chef, but basically just started getting paid for what I was doing anyway. Because I used to do, you know, teach people, I'd do little cookery classes and occasional catering gig here and there on the weekends. And But it kind of blew up in a big way and I started focusing on Persian food and um, it just went in, insane. It just, yeah. it really took off in a way that I had not uh, expected. And, you know, thank God it, it had because it's brought me to a very fortunate, a very lovely career that, you know, I really enjoy and... And it's brought me many blessings along the way. So uh, lots of opportunities, like writing for your fine magazine. <laughs> I've, I've gotten to do the thing I love, which I, yeah. you know, that, that's at 35, you don't ever sort of think, you don't think, oh, it's downhill from here because you're still no. young, but you don't sort of think it's... A new career. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. You, you know, it's not, I, I was actually talking to somebody else, somebody that got made redundant recently. And I said, I promise you, hang in there. Because the best things that have ever happened to me have always happened after the worst things that have ever happened yeah. to me career-wise. And, you know, every time I was made redundant, being made redundant three times in my lifetime. And, um, you know, it, it didn't, you couldn't see the wood for the trees at the beginning, but eventually mm. you're like, oh, okay, I see. Yeah. This was, th I, hadn't, I hadn't sort of thought about this particular career, you know, happening, yeah. but my God, I'm glad it did. Yeah, I know. I'm, massive, I'm <laughs> a huge change. Yeah, and I guess that's going to resonate with quite a lot of people at the minute because there's so much uncertainty out there in the, the job market, isn't there? So I imagine there's people listening who are going through a similar thing. And it's, it's, it's amazing that you can look back at it and go, wow, something positive came out of that last time. Yeah, and also just, um, you know, it's it's one of those things you know we're all control freaks to some extent we like to know what's happening to us of course it's human nature to want to know and then it's just right now it's such uncertain times for all of us even mm. those of us with careers like mine you know you know had all my work wiped out all my paid work wiped out for the year so like yeah. no cookery classes no supper clubs no campaigns everything gone mm. as you know it's you know that's what happens when everybody's unable to spend money so there was it came with it doesn't it, it hasn't been sort of like a fabulous year yeah. but you know it has given me the confidence to think you know I've had tough times before and I always sort of joke about myself I am the bounce back kid and the times I probably you know we've said this we've had this chat before and I said you know I'm like a cockroach like you think you've crushed <laughs> me but then Armageddon happens and the world starts anew and I just pick myself up and get back on with it but the times I am personally at my best is when I'm being backed into a corner. Yeah. And and <clears throat> and have to make a, a decision about what to do. I never know what the hell I'm doing. Don't get me wrong. I don't sit down and have brainstorming sessions about my career. But, you know, I just suddenly think, well, this is all I can do. I don't think about that, which I can't control because mm. it stresses me out a lot. I know it sounds like it, it's a Zen thing, but it mm. isn't. It's not like, oh, you mustn't think about those things you can't control. I'm like thinking about them all the time. That's the problem. <laughs> um, but eventually you learn that you can't do anything about that and that yeah. you stressing and having a nervous breakdown is not actually going to help you 
So once you can try and just, you know, get a little part of yourself together, yeah. you then start thinking about what can I do yeah. or what, what else would I do, you know? And I always, I've always told everyone I'm not afraid of having the rug pulled from underneath me career-wise because I've had it, it's happened to me so many times before. You know, I, I would happily work second shelves in a supermarket or take a job in a butcher's or something like that and you know I think that keeps you honest because I just think they're fantastic jobs and there's no shame in that and I if I have to start from scratch the only thing that would be shameful for me is that I'm not taking care of my family and paying my bills and doing what I'm supposed to do in life that would be my shame yeah you know so I'm happy to do you know new directions new opportunities all of these things because what life is isn't it it's not always plain sailing and I've had so many different careers in my short time compared to other people on this planet but it's always been interesting and it's always taught me something so I think that's the most important thing I haven't been a total waste of space (laughs) (laughs) I mean the the brilliant news is that your book you've managed to you know launch your book during lockdown and it's doing incredibly well because you've got a huge following on Instagram and I've seen so many people sharing stuff they've made <laughs> from the book you know sharing the book itself being so excited about it coming I've got a copy by me and it's it's beautiful as always photography everything about it's gorgeous what would you say the sort of essence of the book is if you had to describe it um I would say that uh the book is, it's kind of a near, neither here nor there book. It's really hard to describe myself because obviously media will always, you know, pick up on me being Persian and that's just true. I'm 100% Iranian, born in Iran. Um, and that will always play a massive part in my culture and, uh, sorry, in my cooking because of my culture and also the ingredients that I choose. Yeah. But, you know, I'm also like, I've lived in England for 42 years, you know, I'm fiercely protective of the British side of my um, heritage (laughs) and, and understand how we eat and went to school here and know what the supermarkets and everything Mm. sort of sell and have available. And convenience is a big deal for me. And, and I, it's almost like part of this book was written during COVID, which is physically impossible, obviously, because it was, you know, finished last year, but it, 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 there's an element of convenience with the way I cook and shop and that is a theme in all my books but in this one I've just sort of I've sort of used more of what we kind of have at home a lot of people in supermarkets not everyone because I know there are people be listening here and going I don't have fish sauce in my cupboards what's she talking about get that but it is available and it has been available in our supermarkets for a very long time and I use them at home so I'm not I'm now no longer just everything Middle East and everything Middle East because I want you to get even more combinations out of what you might already have at home. Mm. Um, So it's just kind of opening up the pantry and it's neither East nor West, but it's also both Eastern and Western. It's just simply Sabrina food. That's that crux of it. Yeah, it's kind of like you on a plate basically, isn't it? Yeah, messy. (laughs) (laughs) Messy, messy but tasty. (laughs) And as you said before, um, you know, you never, you were never taught to cook. Your mum, famously Mama G doesn't cook. Um, How much freedom... Look, I've seen the video of her flatbreads. They look great. Um, yeah. <laughs> how much freedom do you think that gives you to kind of break the rules, not having the traditional 
cookery school or cookery or chef background? I think the the way that I am today, which is like I just see, I don't see rules. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, I always sort of say it's probably something to do with me being a stubborn Capricorn because we always think we know better than everyone, even though I don't at heart, but we just do whatever we want to. We're stubborn goats. And I, I, I kind of, <clears throat> if everybody says that pink is in fashion, then I'm going to go for blue. I've always been that girl <laughs> because I, I, I'm not a follower. I don't like doing that. I'd rather sit and slump in my own corner and do yeah. my own thing. But more importantly, I want things to be easy for me first yeah. and foremost that's you know I'm not constantly trying to think how can I make this easier for Janine at home you know I'm <laughs> thinking I don't I'm not a corner cutter I want things to be delicious and yeah. simple and affordable and those are the like the three things that mean sort of the most to me when it comes to recipes so that's what that's why I think oh well tradition says that well stuff tradition I'm telling you I've done it I've tested it it's you know, I've taught it yeah. at my cookery school and people seem to like it. Maybe it's not actually this particular original dish, but it's inspired by that and actually it tastes almost the same. Yeah, yeah. Boom, done. <clears throat> you know, it's, you're never going to cook recipes and cook often at home if you feel daunted by a recipe. Mm. I, I'm, you know, uh, I'm a prime example. I hold my hands up. I am not a naturally gifted baker, um, i.e. it's not in my comfort zone having to meticulously follow something I've never been like that even I'm not even a book reader people go oh well you know I read two books a week I'm like really I'd be lucky if I read two books a decade because I just can't I can't just focus eventually the lines mm. just blur into one and with baking you need to do that you mm. need to respect the rules but it kind of makes me panic so I'm always trying to just make things as simple as possible so that it doesn't daunt whoever is cooking yeah. at home and and just to see if it's possible because with some things you can't like you can't make I don't know shoe pastry if you're not doing x y and z it just it it won't work, work you can't yeah. make you know Italian meringues if you don't use a thermometer and all of those things True. so I've quickly established what is within my strengths and remit and what yeah. absolutely isn't and I stick to it and it's you know, it's almost a little bit of a wiser decision than my tiny little brain is capable of because, you know, I'm not, I haven't always been the wisest person in life. But the one thing my age and wisdom has taught me is that it's really easy to get distracted by what other people are up to. Mm. And it's really easy in a in a respectful way and in a kind of like oh I wish I could do that oh, yeah you know, oh that looks amazing oh well why didn't I think of that or envy not in a nasty way but you know the, the envy yeah. of somebody's talent somebody's gift and makes you feel small and you know there's there's a lot of that and I just I have to literally Step sort away. of like <clears throat> rein myself in and keep myself focused almost like a shire horse with blinkers mm. on you know just keep only look straight ahead because there is plenty of distraction and everybody has a gift and, and different strengths. And if you start deviating and trying to be clever because everyone else is doing spherical olives or something <laughs> like that, for example, or using a thermomix or using yeah. a, um, you know, sous vide machine that you think, oh, well, you know, maybe I need to do those. And I am, yeah, it's a natural instinct to occasionally yeah. think, oh, that, well, oh, maybe I should. And then I think, no, Sabrina, don't, you know, people like you for these reasons, yeah, yeah, like your recipes true. for these reasons. Mm. Keep your focus, hold your own, 
be strong about it. Don't change. Stay definite, even if it's not always successful. Just stick at it and just make that your thing. Because in the long run, you'll be the person that stood the test of time in a small way because you stuck to something. It became your niche. Yeah. You know, when you're trying to do everything... Then you lose. Yeah, you lose. You can you can lose yourself as well. You know, you you do. You lose yourself, and also you just become stressed out. You become insecure. So so I I think I've honed in on what I do well. I do quick recipes, super simple, um, versatile, cheap, and tasty. Yeah, that's kind of that's it. I think for everyday cooking, commercial cooking. I'm happy to be the girl that's commercial supermarket friendly recipe writer. And obviously you can go to your beautiful artisan cheese shop and the gorgeous butcher (laughs) to get stuff too for my recipes. But I want to be accessible to people. And I don't think Middle Eastern food was really accessible for many people before 2014 because it was then then it was not just Ottolenghi but it was like Ottolenghi myself honey and co boom we just came in and then it really you know opened it up and supermarkets felt the pressure and put things on their shelves that they hadn't before so um better better to be the accessible um writer for for my personal taste and just try not to be too clever or too fancy because those things don't last you know the, the most popular food in the world is like poverty food pizzas pies breads soups stews because it was poor food and Mm. those are the recipes every single country in the world still has Mm. not the trendy fancy sugar cages and you know poached (laughs) sous vide fillet of you know bat wings or some (laughs) rubbish like that That, that's going to be 2021 bat wings definitely (laughs) (laughs) somebody some newspaper quoted me yesterday it's like extract of pigeons tits and I just (laughs) thought I was thinking Oh my god! I just—I didn't mean quote me verbatim yeah. on the extract of pigeons. <laughs> it's but, a very know, Sabrina phrase, though. Exotic ingredient. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that's totally you. I—I'd I, know oh, you'd say that. Um, <laughs> one of the interesting things as well that you say in the book, and I know because I've—I've I've seen we've talked about it, is—is um, is you do actually cook every single day, like every single day. And even when you go on holiday and not just, I can relate to that because I'm going to Cornwall next week and I always stay somewhere with a, a kitchen. But even when you go to like uh, Thailand or when you go to Venice, you go and find a place with a kitchen to stay in. What's all that about? You know, on holiday. <laughs> well, I know, but you see, I'm not a beach holiday person. I just mm. a- always, I think probably when I was a little bit younger, the beach had loads of appeal. And now it's just like boring. Yeah. You know, water, sun, big deal, boring. I need something to do. I get like my mind starts going <laughs> and I don't sun worship anymore. So mm. it's just like taking the wind right out of those sails. But when you go somewhere that's yeah. an amazing foodie destination mm. you know I want to buy everything in the market and the truth is I used to you know you know I used to spend all my Christmases in Thailand for the last however many years and I kept for the first few years it was in hotels and I kept going oh I want to take that those salad ingredients and yeah. those beautiful vegetables that I don't really know what they are but I want to take them back and try them in an experiment and or I'm sick of eating in hotels and restaurants mm. sometimes because you just want to you know you don't want dinner maybe you just want a bowl of cornflakes or something yeah. like that so it that's where it um you know kind of came from really and mm. and I think I just I can't have I can't not cook can't just don't like it and also don't like waking up for breakfast in hotels 
Yeah, I know what you mean. And having to go down for breakfast. Having to like, go down. What time uh, does breakfast mascara finish? Mascara down. Nine and you're Nine like, what? Nine <laughs> thirty. <laughs> what now? Because I'm a night owl, so I stay yeah. up and you know watch telly or or just do yeah. something. I would like to say read, but that is obviously I've just <laughs> told you that I don't read really. So. So yeah, I, I I do cook every day. I've in fact got a cheesecake in the oven right now. <laughs> I know. I'm waiting for the oven to ping so we can uh, we can have a, a little pause or something. So part of the book is traditions with a twist, and you've managed to include some of your favourite Persian recipes from your childhood in the book. Um, I think I remember being surprised, and people might be surprised as well, given that you're quite famous for your spicing. That a lot of Persian Iranian cooking I mean Persian Iranian cooking traditionally just doesn't use spice does it not in the way that no. we would can we talk Persians don't about that? like spice it's the one thing when I teach my classes and I always do a little summary of what Persian food is I ask people I said you know when you think about Persian mm. food mm. what is the one word flavor descriptive that comes to your head and they always it doesn't matter even if I'm sitting in front of 500 people they go spice <laughs> And I go, correct, but it's not the correct answer. (laughs) Uh, So it's not the correct answer, but of course that is what comes to our head naturally. Now, obviously being Persian, I know that's not the case, but for Persian food is, its flavours are incredibly subtle. Yeah. We don't like spice. We only pre- we only use cumin because we produce cumin and saffron because we produce saffron. We're kind of like the Italians in old tr- in uh, old traditions in like if we grow it we use it otherwise it's not really you know yeah. kind of remit. So herbs, citrus mm. um, and tomato are really the key flavor components. We are bonkers for sour. We put lemon juice in everything. I was going to say one one of the recipes in the book that you said um, Mama G for, forced you to learn how to force you to learn how to make was um, tachin ta, ta, yeah and that's got barberries in again yep. very sour little ingredient isn't it yeah so um, barberries are I wouldn't say they're an acquired taste I used to think of them as an acquired taste they're a little tart little berry that go, mm. grows on sort of twiggy bush and actually it does grow in England. Um, and very it, very prevalent in uh, Tudor cookery. Oh, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah. it? I think Henry VIII sort of sent his fleet travelling around to what was then called the New World, even though technically we were the old world. The old world, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and sort of came back with things like quince, um, pomegranates, uh, medlar, mm. all of these things that sort of suddenly made big appearances in, in, in English cooking back then. But... Um, Barberies are this they're super super sour kind sour. of in a lemony way really yeah. nice nothing unpleasant but what we do we have this brilliant thing we fry them in butter and sugar nice so you can have a nice <laughs> diabetic cholesterol led heart attack <laughs> um we fry them in butter and sugar and then fold them into rice nice they are delicious um but in tachin they sit in the middle in the and middle, sometimes yeah. they pile like a whole extra pile on top as well and it's yeah. just Yummy. I'm actually yeah. having that on Sunday for lunch because I'm doing a roast chicken on Saturday oh, night and then great. the rest of that goes into, into the tachin. Nice. And and also we've talked about dried limes before. They're a big thing, aren't they? Yeah, they are. We use dried limes uh, either ground up into a powder as a souring agent to mm. soups, 
and stews, but mostly we just prick them with a fork and put three or four into one of our stews. Mm. And then they give a wonderful sour flavor and they go from sort of rock solid to totally soft at the end of it. And what I love about Brits, they always go, should I just throw the dried lime away? I'm like, no, we eat the whole <laughs> thing. And just people are just like, really? Because <laughs> it's, it's really sort of pucker worthy. It's super sour, but again, that really sort of explains our flavor profiles quite beautifully but yes. apart from that it's just very plain rice very plain meat plain grilled tomatoes super super simple cuisine yeah. so if you're you know a bit iffy with trying new cuisines just because you haven't before then I would say Persian is comes across as really refined and elegant but actually it's really simple it's and we gentle, are quite, quite simple flavor <clears throat> eaters don't don't like garlic don't you know like many many different things don't yeah. like chili don't use ginger so yeah. you only eat garlic if you live in a region that grows garlic. garlic so it's um it's a lovely place to start for with middle eastern food i would say stick around for more chat from sabrina including why sour flavors are so important in persian cooking Tell us about one of the most impressive looking things in the book, um, which is the kebab kubida, kebab kubida. Right. And I've I've seen you on Instagram videos with this thing that it it looks like a sword, Sabrina. It looks like a massive sword. It is. You're so right, Janine, that that it, it is a sword because... So Persians, we always make our flat mince kebab, kebab, uh, kubide. Okay. Kubide means to pummel kubide. or to beat. It's kind of like the same as the word um, kofta. And it's a, a minced lamb kebab, mm. very simple. And you have to use a high fat spec. So it's 30% fat just because it's almost works like a glue for you oh. to stick it around the skewer. But the reason the skewers are shaped like swords is because the, the word kebab, just mm. means to roast and it was coined by the Persian Empire um, and, and it looks like a sword because when Persian Empire army soldiers were out you know probably raping and pillaging <laughs> however many thousands of years ago yeah. but you know when they you know waged wars and set up yeah. camp and whatnot they would you know if they were lucky to find sort of poor cattle you know milling around they would hunt them and then obviously skewer them onto their swords and put that into the, fire. the fire yeah so that kind of remained in the tradition and some cultures still use small flat swords but it's double smart really because the sword inserts itself through the center of the meat so you're not mm. only cooking the outside of the meat but got an, a, a metal iron heat conductor going through the middle of the meat as well so it's it's quite it's quite clever engineering really um but you obviously with my recipe there's a home version that you can do without skewers and in the oven as well and that works also really well but you can buy those amazing looking things online can't you because they look they're so impressive I mean if you would I know we're kind of almost beyond barbecue weather now almost maybe we'll get an Indian summer what but you could (laughs) you whack those out on the barbecue people would be like so impressed I love it (laughs) they are they, they are quite long though they're about yeah. 60 centimeters oh, and people so are a bit a like whoa <laughs> what, what the you know I kind of chase the kids around with them and they're like what the? you know um, but yeah they, they are and it, it I'm not gonna lie it takes a bit of practice and I yeah. think um the mistake that I made when I first made them is I thought that it'd be absolutely fine with 20% shop-bought lamb you know from mm. a supermarket it really isn't you need, the you need to have a good quality meat yeah. you need to go to your butcher and say can I have lamb shoulder mince with 30% fat in it please because wow. 
Persians and Turks will use 40 or 50 percent even. Do you work, but, but you, do you lose work it? the fat. Yeah. Do you have to you work know, the meat got, quite a lot? You know, when you, you do the... You have to work the meat a lot. You have yeah. to mix it really, really well. Yeah. And it has to be, ideally, if it's cold. But also you have to have hot a, a bowl of hot water on the sides because oh, okay. it almost keeps it from sticking, sticking. to your hands. So yeah. the hot water, it's just... But it, there's a special technique to doing it. It's not easy. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the video. It's impressive. Takes, uh, well, uh, yes, my my skill level, shall we say, is excellent. Um, but it takes it takes a while um, yeah. to learn. But I I kind of nailed it first time round. I just mm. learned a lot of lessons because obviously I had the you know I knew what I I needed to make it look like. Yeah. But that's why I always offer the alternative because I just think don't stress about that. If you want to make yeah. it look like a hamburger shape and do it, do it. And you'll get it's that worth flavor. doing it. Flip yeah. them on the barbecue like burgers. They'll still taste exactly the same. Lovely. Be a different shape. Yeah. Um, also in the book, uh, you have a chapter which I think it kind of refers to what you were talking about before, which you call the melting pot chapter. And I've I picked a couple of recipes from there for our September issue extract because they just jumped right out at me. The first one is <laughs> the Gayo House Curry which is your yep. kind of house curry that you make. Yep. I think you say you make it at least once a week. And you, I, I saw you made a huge batch of it last week <laughs> yeah. as well. And it's so good. It's kind of a slow cooked chicken, thighs on the bone, again, using a really like great value cut of meat. Um, and then you've got all of your spices in there and you just let everything melt together. That is fantastic. I've made it about three times so far. <laughs> I'm going to make it Thank again. Thank you. So yeah, it's, it's just because... You know, it, back in the day, I used to make curries at home and I'm mm. like, it doesn't taste anything like a curry from a takeaway. And if it doesn't, well, you just think, you know, after a while you think, well, I'm not bothering, you know, let's get the takeaway. It's ready done. Mm. There's something something about, you know, that if you do a curry properly, and I know mm. now obviously we're blessed because the internet and also having such amazing writers and things like that, it really makes a difference to our sort of knowledge. But I think I've probably adored Madda Jaffrey for long enough in yeah. my life that I've sort of really thought, okay, I need to really understand what the deal is with curries flavor-wise. And I'd say apart from the use of maybe the tomato that I add into it, most Asian people would probably say, yeah, yeah, that is a familiar base. You know, I use ginger, I use, um, you know, onions. I like garlic. I probably add 10 times the recipe requirement of garlic in there, but it's the blend of spices and how you treat them and what mm. you do to your onions that really sets the base of the curry. The only thing I don't do that, from what I understand, most Indian curries require is they marinate the chicken separately and then right. put it in. and then put it in. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't do it because I'm lazy. Yeah. Um, hence, it's the gay or house curry. But for us, it works really, really yeah, well and great. gives that bog standard chicken curry you know, mm. without sort of cream or sweetness. It's just bog standard, works for lamb, works for prawn, works for chicken. Yeah. I love it. And it's ha happy days. Um, yeah. I made it really recently, you know, just over the weekend because I wasn't feeling so hot, hot with the change of weather. Um, made it for my partner and he was like, oh, this is better than the, the Indian place we found down the road that's supposed to be like the best in the local area. It was... <laughs> Because like this is definitely better than that. And I'm like, correct answer. <laughs> well, yeah, you made it with love for him, didn't you? I mean, it's yeah. always going to be better. Also, the I have to talk about the Silk Road lamb and cumin pasta, which is just, I can't, how can I describe it? It's like a flavor bomb going off in your mouth. I mean, it's 
it's unbelievable. The first time I made it, I was like, what the hell? And you say in the book that you had to fight to keep it in. I'm like, why? This is clearly one of the best recipes <laughs> in there. How did that come about? Um, I love uh, recipes, authentic recipes from China. Mm. And, um, you know, there are a few places in London where you can get pulled belt noodles with the lamb and the cumin, mm. you know, the beginnings of the Silk Road, uh, you know, culminated in, in a place called Xi'an, X-I-A-N. And it's, um, you know, there's a sort of Muslim community that exists there and that means they use lamb and they bought you know cumin and did have very different flavors there that they do than the rest of the different provinces in China and I became obsessed with this kind of almost Mongolian like combination of spices um and also the fact that it's cumin makes it, and lamb makes yeah. it feel almost more like it's Middle East and it kind of really shows you the the trade between Possibly, China and yeah. the Persian Empire yeah. at some stage and so I but I couldn't get to East London where all these little trendy, wonderful places are, um, you know. And I was just like, ah, oh, no, I'm just gonna try and make something at home. And I did, and I was like, this is good. It's really good. And so I just started eating it. It was, but it was just for my greedy gut at the beginning. And I remember, you know, my mum was in the kitchen watching me the first time I made it because she's not, and I it, that's not a dish I could sell to her. She's so difficult. <laughs> Um, and she was like, oh, God, that's a lot of cumin. And I was like, mm, I know, I'm sure it'd be okay. And it was. And I'm not the greatest lover of whole cumin mm. seeds in large quantities. But no, it just, it it needs to be punchy. And it yes. worked. Um, and it's really funny you said that because I have received in the last uh, week three private messages on Instagram from um, people going, oh, my God. Your Silk Road noodles is amazing. Like everything else I cooked is great, but this is amazing. Like, mm. and I just laughed because it made me think of you. <laughs> I think it's, it's the, I think it's a shock. Yeah, and it's the pasta as well because you use um, tagliatelle, don't you? And yeah, yeah, because it's like I mean, slip, you, you, slippery noodly pasta. But the, because because the pasta's so bland, and then you get this like lamb that you've just literally flash fried and it's yeah. super tender and then you get this sauce which is like got cumin and soy and it's just like what the hell I can't <laughs> describe how good it is anyway it's in the September issue of Olive so <laughs> you're in for a treat people listening um hopefully hopefully we can put it online as well um and we have to lastly just talk about something you did a fantastic video for which was your marinated steak with um, labana, pulbibir and crispy onions. Again, God, I got to test that. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. And it was just like, I think it's the recipes were for me. Matt were like, mm. <laughs> we just we just inhaled it. But, um, but that's that lovely combination of you've got like marinated spice steak. You've got labna, which is a, um, a strained, you know, Greek yogurt, which becomes really thick and creamy. And then you make this butter and put pulbibir, which is the um, the Turkish pepper, isn't it? Red pepper. Yes. Yeah. And then pour it all over the top. So you've got that kind of, oh, God. I mean, how do you come up with stuff like that? It's just ridiculous. And well, if I said I came up with that on my own, I'd be lying because <laughs> it's the good people of Turkey that have came up with a, a kebab called Iskender. Kebab, oh, right. is that named it, yeah. after Alexander the Great. Iskender oh, is the... Okay. Persian word for Alexander 
And Iskander kebab is slightly different. It's a different type of kebab, but it, it sits on a bed of thick strained yogurt mm. and they pour butter because the Turks are obsessed with butter in a really good way. <laughs> yeah. In a really I'd like we to have them. a healthy obsession with butter, yeah. but there's nothing healthy about it. It's but they they don't hold back and I love it. But love they that. don't use the they don't use a pulba bear butter. They just pour a hot butter over it mm. and it is to die for. Yeah. Um but I just you know me, I like spice. Yeah. And I was kind of inspired by the Turkish eggs where they pour a pulba bear butter uh, over something like hot, wow. hot chili butter. Um, and I did it with beef instead yeah. of lamb. Um, and it just, you know, it's a dish I made for my mum. And she was, she gave it the thumbs up, did which she? is always pretty rare, to be fair. So <laughs> she was, she just ate it, barely shared it with me. So I thought, well, you know, that's obviously a good one to go with. So, but um, I just think for me, if you just toast some pita and just push mm. it through the yogurt with the butter and the stuff, I mean, I don't need anything yeah. else. That's just lock me in a room and give me a fork, if you yeah. will, or just a piece of bread, and I'm I'm very happy. And again, it's super easy because I think you said you just toss the steak chunks with like a spice mix. You know, you can you can drain the yogurt. I did, but you can also just buy thick Greek yogurt and use that, and then it's just the butter and the the pulver bear, and then that's it. And it's so super quick and easy to put easy. together. And it's got. Like, Do you know what? Because. Good food just really doesn't need to be complicated. Mm. I don't understand why things need to be um, so ingredient laden. At the end of the day, that doesn't need to be mm. um, overly sort of fuffed and fifth. It took me minutes. I think I pretty much fil- filmed it in real time because yeah. it really didn't need much more than that. Um, you know, you could just stand over the camera while I was frying the meat, but that took about a minute on each yeah, side. So exactly. it wasn't really that it's long. Just really searing the steak. Um, yeah, if you yeah. if you want to, uh, if anyone wants to go and watch that, it's saved on the Olive Magazine Instagram feed in our little stories at the bottom. But um, but yeah, but brilliant. And I think you've proved it with the book. The rest of the book is full of equally amazing recipes with that huge flavour bomb profile. Um, with everything that's happening at the minute, what what have you got any plans to do like online cookery things? You know, is, is there anything coming up that you want to tell people about? Yeah, so I I struggle. I do get inquiries. I actually had a really interesting inquiry over the weekend after doing Saturday Kitchen. Somebody who's like, can you do online classes? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I could probably do private ones. Great. We're 170 people. I'm like, ah, uh, no, I don't do that. Just because... It's really difficult yeah. to teach properly. Yeah. It's different if you're doing a demo, but I want people to learn. If they're mm. going to spend money, then I want them to learn and, and, and really get something out of it that was high quality. And I don't know, I'm kind of here and there about whether I should be doing stuff. I don't think I could be doing public classes online because I need to devote my time to you. If you're going to yeah. learn from me, I want to give you my attention and not be distracted by trying to operate the camera and whoops, I forgot a spoon and oh God, can you see this? Oh, your internet's cut out. Well, all you people that have just paid for a class, you just hang on there while I sort out this. But you know, there's just too many potential risks. And I think if I can speak to you one-to-one privately or you and your family at home and it doesn't matter because there are no other people from another household, then that's okay. Yeah. But to be honest, this book is keeping me busy because yeah. there are lots of festivals coming up that are like online, gone online. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm very lucky, but I'm just doing interviews every day, literally. Yeah. Um, that's cool. I'm that's just constantly on social media replying yeah. to people and 
their inquiries and making sure that they're happy with the book I feel like that's what I need to do to make sure yeah, the book right has now, a steady just, launch exactly so so is the best place for people to keep on in touch with what you're doing is is Instagram is that where you're putting I, all the information I would say so yeah I mean Instagram there are imprints of it on my Facebook public yeah. page and Twitter but I say Instagram is really where it's at and the bulk of the news and stuff yeah. because it's just a it's where you like my, kind of my, live for the main part of your yeah or you're posting stuff there daily aren't you so people can so that's yeah. at Sabrina Gale on Instagram and um and if people want to buy the book it's out now published by Octopus and it's called Simply Sabrina fantastic and I'm going to wrap it up there Sabrina thank you so much for coming to chat to us today it's been lovely as always you can eat the rest of your custard tart now <laughs> <laughs> I just, be careful of the jumping noises yeah. but thank you very much for having me as thank, always thank you so that was the Olive Magazine podcast if you want to explore more of our back catalogue of over 200 episodes you'll find us on all the main platforms and on our website olivemagazine.com where you'll also find tons of useful recipes and great cooking advice why not try a subscription to Olive Magazine this summer and get the very best recipes delivered to help inspire your cooking to take advantage of our current offer of three issues for only £5, go to buysubscriptions.com or pod 720. That's O-L-P-O-D 720. Terms and conditions apply. Stay safe and we'll see you next week when we'll have a brand new episode to listen to.